0: Have you ever done something bad for you that you know you need to quit, but you just can't seem to stop? Today we're going to be talking about addictions and how to overcome them.
1: Today's handshake... Appropriate to the theme of this episode is temperance. Temperance is the virtue that moderates our desire for pleasure. So, a temperate man is not somebody who um, hates pleasure or desires it less, but it's somebody who loves wisdom and knowledge. He chooses the things of the future, the things of our next life with Christ over fleeting passions and desires now. So, work hard as a man to be temperate, to work on your passions and your desires that happen in the here and now while focusing our hearts and minds on that which is to come.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Catholic Gentleman Podcast. Uh, We're glad you've joined us. Uh, If you are listening for the first time, we encourage you to click subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Or if you're watching on YouTube, also click the subscribe button uh, and hit the bell notification as well so that you can be notified when we release new content. Uh, And also, if you've enjoyed these podcasts or benefited from them in any way, we encourage you to consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Gentlemen. Uh, As always, there's some great tiers for you and uh, different levels to meet your financial situation. We really appreciate your support. It helps us continue to produce high-quality content like this.
1: Awesome. And we also want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Exodus 90. We'll talk about Exodus 90 a little bit later in the episode. So, Sam, we're talking about addiction today. Why is this so important for men now more than ever.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I think uh, there's several reasons. First of all, because addictions can enslave us. And who wants to be a slave? I mean, we should want to be free men, free to love God and serve our neighbor. Uh, And we can't do that if we're constantly addicted to different things. Um, And I think this is something that we're vulnerable to more than we may realize. Addiction can be a big, scary word, But I think that it's a lot more common than people think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I know that it's something that um, I've struggled with, right? Mm -hmm. I know that there are certain addictive tendencies that i have in my life right and whether that addiction is from something um a temptation of the flesh right something that i just desire or enjoy or even a temptation of the world right where you you're addicted to uh climbing the ladder of success i know that that's something that i've struggled with actually a lot and uh and it has given me anxiety it's given me panic attacks and it's something that um I've had to work, and likely will work, uh, you know, throughout the rest of my life, to uh, to temper, or to um, you know, overcome, and uh, and be more open to to God's will for my life. I know that it's been so frequently in opposition uh, yes. to His will, and we also know that addiction is on the rise, right? Yes. That because of this, and I, I will say it probably in. This episode and many other ones, because of this horrific amount of overabundance that we have in life now, this this attempted uh, frictionless um, pathway between ourselves as consumers and that which we can consume, addictions um, become, you know, I would say easier uh, yes. to 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 adopt into. Um, enslave us you know today
0: yeah and i think too there's there's something there's a hole in our hearts so to speak you know the, the saint saint augustine says so famously our hearts are restless until they rest in god and so we try to fill that void with so many things and i think if you look around in our culture even though we're swimming in abundance people are still <laughs> unhappy nothing can fill that void no matter no amount of purchases or things like that can fill that void and so we get addicted to a little high, yeah, um, of getting something new. And then as soon as we have it, we forget about it, and we want the next thing. Um, so, but before we go any further, let's let's define what we're talking about when we talk about addiction, because yeah. again, addiction is a big, scary word, and a lot of times people are like, "I'm not an addict. What are you talking about?" Um, I think it's important to, to to define what we mean. So, first of all, I want to clarify. I think. There's a big A addictions yeah. and little a addictions. Yeah. There's big A addictions are what I consider like clinically diagnosed addictions, yes. like uh, alcohol use disorder or mm-hmm. some of these other substance abuse disorders that you might find in, you know, the, the diagnostics and statistic manual that, that psychiatrists and, and counselors and psychologists use to diagnose mental disorders. Okay, So that would be like big, big A addiction. There's criteria that you have to meet. To satisfy that definition, there's there's time frames that they Mm -hmm. use to assess those kinds of addictions. Um, So those can be very serious, life-altering addictions that can destroy your life in, in very profound ways. But there's also small A addictions that can also erode us in a smaller... In more subtle way, and I call these small a addictions. Yeah, uh, there's a, there's a great book called Addiction and Grace. But um, and 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 in the book, the author kind of makes the assertion that to some extent we're all addicts. We all yeah. turn to things other than God to kind of sate that hole in our heart, to, to soothe that that ache that we have that only God can satisfy ultimately. Mm-hmm. But To give a concrete definition of addiction, small A or big A, is a unhealthy relationship with any mood-altering, this key word here, behavior or substance that you persist in using despite the negative consequences. Yeah. And uh, the words mood-altering are very important because how many things can alter a mood? millions of things yeah a hug can alter our mood for crying out loud sure like um, a cup of coffee can alter your mood in the morning so anything that can potentially alter your mood in a positive direction yeah has the potential to become addictive yes now being addicted to coffee may not destroy your life Mm. but it can still have negative consequences and you may know maybe i should cut back but you can't seem to yes you know so So that's kind of where you start to enter the territory of of compulsive or addictive behaviors when it's having a negative impact on your life. Maybe you can't sleep. Maybe it's increasing your anxiety, but you just can't give up coffee. Yeah. That kind of thing is where you start to enter the territory of addiction, even if you're not clinically diagnosed.
1: And I appreciate you saying that, right? Because there's certain habits that we develop Mm -hmm. that might not quite fit into the realm of addiction. Like, So for instance, a habit could be that every morning I wake up and I like to drink um, orange juice. Or I like to drink yes. you know so, you know cranberry juice and and I and I wouldn't be able to, um, it's just a habit that I formed, right? And we, we wouldn't say a person who drinks five cranberry juices a day, I'm sorry, a week are, are necessarily overly addicted. It's a habit. And so I think um, it's good to, uh, to define that. And it's also, and I actually, you brought something up, you said substance or behavior. And yes. I think this is really good. And I'd like to hear more about your thoughts on, on substance, because when, when I think of addiction, right, it's real easy to just um, state everything from uh, alcohol, you know, cigarette smoking, um uh, pornography, you know, but there's also the addictions to our devices. There's yes. addictions to um, our need for affirmation. There's addictions for our need for, for growing in um, a, a career path or something along those lines. And, um, and so, if you want to talk a little bit more, I'd like to talk about that, that break between um, behavior and substance. I think substance is really easy for us to, to define addictions, but then you get these behavioral addictions. Addictions, you yes. know, and, I, and I've heard the studies that pornography is, in fact, not an addiction, right? There's not really sex addictions and things like yeah. that. And you, you hear that because it's not, it's not an, a, a substance that we're, you know, directly consuming um, through our mouths or something along those yes. lines. So I'd love to hear your thoughts
0: on that. Oh yeah. So this this is something <laughs> that I get kind of riled up about because yeah, okay. there, there 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 there's a lot of uh, researchers and clinicians that are sticking their head in the sand about behavioral addiction. Yeah. Yeah. But fortunately, the research is finally catching up, and we're realizing that behavioral addiction is just as real as substance use addictions. Mm. So, the reason they've been in denial is because substance use addictions um, very clearly have a neurochemical effect. They create, you know, like little hooks in your mind that keep you craving this substance. So, yeah. for example, alcohol it has a very clear effect on your brain at a physiological level. Yes. And people say, "Well, okay, so that's a real addiction. Mm. But you know, gambling, you know, sex addiction, things like that, those aren't real because there's no chemical effect, right? Yeah. Well, actually, the research is starting that they've done brain scans on people yeah. who are addicted to pornography or who are addicted to gambling, or who have these other behavioral addictions. Um, and they've started to notice, much to their embarrassment, that these behavioral addictions have the same effect in many, many cases as substance use addictions on the brain. The same areas of the brain get evac- uh, uh, activated. The same neurochemicals are released. The exact same cocktail of uh, chemical reactions in the brain and, and neurological and physiological reactions that happen with when you take cocaine often happen with uh, behavioral addictions like looking at pornography or masturbating yes. or things like that, yeah. which which is kind of like blowing a lot of people's minds, but they've created this new kind of category where there's substance use addictions, but there's also process addictions. Okay. And that's kind of the label that they've placed on behavioral addictions. They call them process addictions, where you're addicted to a ritual or a behavior that pre- produces a again, mood altering effect of varying degrees. Um and and so they've started to wake up and realize that uh that behavioral addictions can be have the same effect as a substance use addiction, which I think is really important. I do. Because people have been destroyed by I'm not I'm not joking, shopping addiction. Yeah. Like people have racked up their credit cards, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, completely bankrupt. And they still can't stop shopping. Yeah, you know, there's people who've been destroyed by gambling addictions. Unquestionably, there's people who've been destroyed by you know uh, pornography addiction and been arrested and thrown in prison. It's just it's very clear that behavioral addictions can be just as real as substance use addictions. So I expect the next next example of or the next edition of the DSM, which is what yeah. psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors use to diagnose mental disorders. I I fully expect the DSM six to have behavioral addictions in there because people are starting to finally wake up and realize that this is just as real.
1: I find this so, um, uh, I would say interesting and, uh, and in, in a degree affirming what the church has always taught. Right. And it's so great to see modern science basically just affirming the 2000 years teachings of the church. Right. And I use, um, you know, a sex as an example, right? This uh, the um, the behavioral addiction, pornography and masturbation and things like that, right? Where we're addicted, uh, men can easily get addicted to the, that um, that high that yes. we experience, right? That dopamine high is what it is. But um, the church has always stated that that is wrong and that right. that is is sinful. Uh, while the conjugal act, right, within married marriage love and marital uh, love is, is approved and, and for the good of the human person, but what science is able to teach us is that, like, in pornography and masturbation, you have this huge dopamine hit, but you don't have the oxytocin and the serotonin and those different levels yeah. like you do within marital love. Yes. And and it's so, um, I, like I said, it's affirming because the church has always upheld faith and reason and and reason or science in this case hasn't, uh, is finally, finally catching, catching up, up. Yeah. exactly <laughs> to what the church is teaching and what it has been teaching. And I think that's, that's so wonderful. And it's something for us as men to, to be entirely aware of. And I, I, mentioned it and I want to talk about it because my, my wife and I have been, um, interested in, in discerning this idea of this, this dopamine, you know, hit, right. And it's becoming more and more understanding. And from, I remember Dr. Peter Cabana is talking about it. I've heard, uh, Dr. Palencius uh, was, a um, a, uh, a family practice doctor who also is NAPRO and, and understood talking about, you know, the negative effects of, of pornography and masturbation. And, and then we hear these new studies of men who are struggling or having erectile dysfunction at the age yes. of 30, you yeah. know, and it's because of their pornography addictions because it all links back to... Um, this this dopamine right that that we we can get these highs and when when that dopamine high no longer gives us the same high we have to go and we have to do more and behavior we become escalates, be, yeah, yeah behavior escalates and it becomes more and more of an addictive substance and it, and it's like that. Also with regular substance, any alcoholic um, can attest to the fact that it started with two or three, and then it was a fifth, you know, a day, and and it just escalated from there. A sugar addiction, right? Where one Coca Cola didn't quite do it for me, so now I have three Coca. Oh no, I'm going to have Diet Coke because yes. that's less addictive. No, it's not. <laughs> and and you know, but the same thing with behavior. Again, a tied to a tied to this dopamine that uh, that we are all uh, privy to, right. It's a part of all of our biological makeup. And, um, and Satan has known that forever and he has absolutely used that to, to draw us down. So Mm -hmm. I know I've mentioned sin here. Um, I don't necessarily know if, if, if you'd like to talk more on, on that. I know it's something in our, in our discussions that we have is where, where culpability lies when it comes into addiction.
0: Yeah. And that's a, that's a great question. I, I obviously, uh, not to dodge the question, but it is different for everybody. Some people are very well aware of what they're doing, and they just don't care. Yeah, um, there's other people though who, let's say um, let's take pornography addiction as an example. Let's say they were at their their friend's house for a sleepover at eight years old. And they didn't they weren't prepared for this, but their friends showed them, like, hey, look at this. Here's some pornography. And it, an eight year old's mm-hmm. developing brain is not prepared to process what you experience in pornography. And it can be very uh, addictive, right? So yeah. by, maybe by the time that 8-year-old is 12, he's been looking at porn for four years. Yeah. Uh, by the time he's 22, mm. you know, it's been 14 years of looking at pornography. That completely changes the structure of your brain. We know that, you know, the, the, the neuroplasticity is a thing, that the brain uh, conforms to repeated behaviors. It changes its whole shape and structure-based On repeated behavior so 14 years by the time you're in college you've been looking at pornography for that long your brain the whole structure of your brain has changed at that point yeah now let's say that 22 year old gets married um, and he's he's he loves his wife he doesn't want to be looking at pornography he wants to be pure for his his new bride but he's got you know 14 years of addictive behavior behind him Mm. his whole structure of his brain has changed and he finds he just keeps falling. He just keeps going back. Yeah. Maybe he has a bad day at work. Well, he learned to self-soothe bad feelings as a ten-year-old with pornography. Yeah. So what's he going to do? Like his just in an automatic, like robotic, almost compulsive way, he's just going to go back and look at pornography. Mm-hmm. Then afterwards, he's going to be flooded with guilt and shame and say, "Never again! I'm going to. I'm not going to do this. I don't want to be this person." But then, give it a few days or a few weeks, he's going to be right back because. The, the the whole response of, of trigger uh, and ritualization that can be so embedded in our brains mm-hmm. can mitigate that culpability to an yes. extent where you literally can't uh, control yourself any longer. And that's where you need to seek help. You need to get help at that point if if that's the state that you're in. Yeah. But but the point being, you're not always fully in control of yourself when we're talking about a a large A, like clinical style addiction, mm-hmm. you can't always control it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in that, in those places, yes, I don't think you're fully morally culpable. However, you, you know, the, the addiction can still cause a lot of damage in your marriage or in other areas of your life. So. Yeah,
1: no, I appreciate you sharing that because uh, we see it frequently on our on our private men's group and individuals coming with this overwhelming amount of shame and then you get also individuals who are trying to coach them and there's there's this real sense of yes you should be ashamed you are committing mortal sin over and over and over again and that just just helps it does not help this person heal right um because of the the level of bondage and addiction and again it's not to dodge the question or state that these things aren't Incredibly important, and you shouldn't be going to confession. You absolutely should, right? Um, be going to confession for these things, and you should be praying for them. But you also need to seek help, and you also need, in many cases, um, again, even with behavioral addictions, not just substance addictions. There are some guiding principles that we should be aware of to help us uh, as men overcome these large A addictions or even small A addictions, yes, yeah. right? Because um, uh, the point of this episode wasn't to go straight to large A addictions and be mental health counselors having a conversation right. and on the broad level, um, but it is just to talk about addictions, these temptations of the world and temptations of the flesh, right? As as Catholic men, we understand there are, there are three temptations. There's the world, the flesh, and Satan. And when we are held in bondage to that of the flesh and the world because of our upbringing, because, I mean, you said eight years old, and I know I've read studies that that's the modern age of exposure now yes, for yeah. young young boys is eight year olds. How horrible! How horrific! We need to pray um, and fast for for individuals that have been um, have been forced and abused into this situation at such a young age, yes. and um, and we need to see them with a, a degree of compassion and with love, but. Um, but again, there are some guiding principles that we can have um, for all addictions because I know myself, you know, in, in my consumerist mindset, I can, I can certainly fall into addictions. I also yeah. know I have addictive tendencies yeah. uh, that I'm aware of. And that's why, you know, my ascetical practices or my abstinence, you know, practices of abstinence uh, for X, Y, and Z throughout the whole year, right? Not as Father David Abernathy stated, um, it's not episodic, it's not just, I, I remove myself from these addictions during Lent, right. and then I give myself, or I allow them free reign, or I try and moderate them throughout the year. No, it's something that we do continuously, yes. and I have to do that for myself because of these addictive tendencies that I know that um, I possess within me.
0: So. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that is an important point about certain personalities do tend towards addiction more than others. And based on your life experiences, I mean, somebody who had a very stressful, traumatic childhood mm. is going to be much more prone to addictions than someone else. Um, but what I want to emphasize too is where, you know, I don't want to, like you said, go all in on like big A addictions. Yeah. Because, again, the key word here is mood altering, right? Thank you. Um, what can that be? That could be gaming. Mm. That could be your cell phone. That could be food. That could be shopping. That could be even, I'm even going to, goes so far as to say going to confession can be part of a a ritual so to speak that is part of an addiction so for example i look at pornography i go to a confession that's part of the whole ritual of looking at pornography is it really leading to my healing no it's not you know and so addiction can be any number of things but why do we want our mood altered yeah like what's so bad about life that we can't handle life well, it really is a fear of suffering in any form. When we think of suffering, we're like, picture someone on their deathbed, you know, like just, uh, you know, it's racked with pain or something. No, suffering can be as simple as boredom. Yes. I'm bored. Stimulate me. Yeah. Oh, I'll just grab my phone. I'll get out and play a video game. Like, suffering can be come in many forms, including boredom or depression at work Oh, man, the boss overlooked me again and promoted my co-worker. Darn it, you know. Um, let me find an addiction to soothe that yes. pain. Or I just had an argument with my wife and I feel alienated from her, and that's not a good feeling. Let me find an addiction to fill the void. Yeah. Whether that's binge-watching a Netflix show. That's right. Uh, it could be something very, very simple and seemingly harmless. But your point is, you're turning to that to soothe some pain, big or small. Mm. It could be a small pain, you know, Uh, like I I said, boredom. Yeah, sitting in the doctor's office. Oh my goodness, I can't handle this. Listening to the clock tick. You know, I've got to, I've got to have something to kind of soothe that pain of boredom. Um, But it can also be any number of things, stress. So the the acronym that people usually use is H A A L T hungry, angry, anxious, lonely, tired. Okay. These are like universal triggers for addiction in people. Yeah. I'm hungry. Well, I'm going to get a sugar rush. I'm going to go drink a soda, have a candy bar, you know, Snickers preys on this, you know. That's with right. Their, Not going their, their, anywhere
1: for a while. Grab a Snickers. Exactly. Yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> so hungry. Yeah. So yeah. blood sugar crashed. You turn to an addiction. Angry, Like I said, I just had an argument with my wife, or I just felt like somebody did something unjust to me. I'm going to go find some addictive behavior or substance to make me feel better for a few minutes. Anxious. Guys get anxious. Mm -hmm. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to show it, but we get anxious, you know? Um, I need something to make me feel safe, whether that's shopping, or that's, again, turning to your phone, or... You know, going somewhere, it's part of your ritual, going to the bar to hang out with your friends. Um, you know, maybe texting a co-worker that you maybe shouldn't be texting, but it makes you feel good when she flatters you or whatever. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Lonely, that's another one that kind of goes along with anxiety, but this going to get us into trouble. You feel alienated from your wife. You feel like you don't have connection with her. Or maybe you're single, you don't have a wife, and you're lonely, and you wish you long for that intimacy or something again, perfect trigger for some addictive mood-altering behavior or substance that can make you forget about your pain for yeah. a minute. And then tired. When we're tired, our reserves of self-control get weak, right? Yeah. It's easy to be uh, in control of yourself when you feel energetic and you feel confident and you feel on top of the world. But when you're tired and you're just You just want to rest, you know, all those reserves of strength just kind of collapse, and then you're vulnerable to addictive behavior. So those are the big, those are the big triggers that people succumb to. Yeah, no, and
1: I appreciate that very much. And uh, there's two things, and the first thing that I think is really important for our listeners and for ourselves is to look at your day in and day out and say, what is, what am I declaring kind of like a rule of my life? And, mm-hmm. and is it that I drink a glass of scotch once the kids go to bed? Or is mm-hmm. it that I have to watch... X amount of TV, um, in the evening. And, you know, if I stay up a little bit later to finish the next episode, uh, you know, that's okay. That's part of my life, but I've got to give myself this time. Right. And maybe you don't even have that awareness that you're doing that. Maybe it's just a habit that you have formed, right? These sort of things can be these, these pleasure seekings, these self seeking, um, Um, habits can can be addictions Mm. and can be little a addictions and, and and that and and i think that it's important for each man to just take a pause and reflect on his day because as we talked about in the handshake right a temperate man doesn't hate pleasure or dislike it any less but he understands that he loves wisdom prudent use of his time And his ultimate goal of salvation, more. And and that's where we we take that balance. That's where we move towards. But you said something right at the beginning um, of, of your time there where you mentioned suffering, right? And our inability to suffer well. And I think that is so great, right? Because saints we have that prayed for increase of suffering, right? Saints that understood that really, when I look at the cross of Christ... His wounds call out to me, and He is the way, and that we must accept our crosses, our little sufferings daily. But as men today, we struggle. We have an inability to suffer, period, not even suffer well, right? And I know I've talked on previous episodes that maybe suffering, it's not suffering with joy just yet, you know, some sort of gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's suffering peacefully. It's suffering with an understanding and awareness that these are coming to you for your ultimate reward, for your salvation. And so we can um, practice suffering by the mortifications we put upon ourselves right Mm -hmm. so we can take on certain mortifications and certain ascetical practices um of course there's fasting for many different reasons um not the least of which is you know in reparation for your sins or for control of your your desires and your pleasures um but also for union with christ and for a deeper communication and in time spent with him who we love and um and adore and need to love more and more because he loves us unconditionally. But there's also the small mortifications that we can do upon ourselves. Like, um, you know, not having the AC um, when you're driving to work blowing on you at this nice cool thing, right? Maybe yeah. you even turn it off in, in the summer as long as you're not gonna stink you know, at, at work and stuff. But yeah. um, there could be uh, the small little sufferings as you know, the pebble in your shoe. Or maybe you really hate um, tags in your shirt but you're gonna leave it on knowing that that small minor irritation gives you that opportunity to Place something in a controlled environment that can help you learn to suffer yeah. and control control these passions and these desires of ours, so that when these pleasures that that truly are you know pleasures of the world and of the flesh you know kind of um, allure us and, and call us in and connect with us on a much deeper level, we are more in control of those passions and of those that pleasure seeking desires. Yeah. And so, I really liked. Um, uh, that you mentioned that, and I don't think we even discussed that in, in our in our prep for this, is that, you know, kind of that inability to suffer well, but I think that's, that's such a good point that you, you hit on there.
0: Yeah, um, and the goal is freedom. We want to be free men. We don't want to be slaves, you know. St. Paul talks about this, and he talks about disciplining his body so that he can be a free man. Like, you don't want to be your passions and lusts to be kind of controlling and ruling you, we want to be free. Yeah. Not free from, but free for. Mm. Uh, the purpose is to be free, to love God, and to serve. Yeah. You know The great men of history, we think about the great saints, and not even the saints, but just great men in general who contributed to the world and contributed to society and built the world up and raised others up around them. They were men, nine times out of ten, they were free men. They were free from their passions and lusts and were thus able to contribute um, to others and yeah. to contribute to the building up of the church and to evangelization and to all of these things so being free is so important
1: yeah it really is um,
0: now i i do want to emphasize too uh that that what you said is so important pleasure comfort can be the ultimate addiction mm. you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like we Maybe, maybe we're maybe you're not a cigarette smoker. Maybe you're not a alcoholic or any any of those things, but you just love comfort and you avoid anything that disrupts or disturbs your comfort. Okay, well that's kind of the ultimate addiction. Mm-hmm. Your comfort is the, the premium that you seek above all else. So uh, again, it can take many forms, but um, there's there's some things that we can do to kind of fight back against yeah. these addictive tendencies so maybe we can talk about that a little yeah bit.
1: agreed and before we talk about that you mentioned free for and freedom and it's one of many different things and we do have a show sponsor which is exodus 90 and i think it's a great opportunity to talk a little bit about exodus yeah, 90 about we'd like to thank the sponsor of this episode exodus 90 you don't know who Exodus 90 is, we strongly encourage you to check them out. They are a ministry for men that provide a roadmap for spiritual uh, and actually physical growth.
0: Exodus 90 is all about asceticism, prayer, and brotherhood. Now those three pillars really form the basis of the program, but it's 90 days of spiritual exercises, readings, uh, getting together with your brothers and your fraternity that you choose, Um, and it's difficult. I'm not going to lie. I've done it a few times, uh, and it can be hard. It can be demanding, but we need a little bit uh, of asceticism in our lives today. The church doesn't ask very much of us these days, and that's okay, but sometimes we need a little bit of an extra spiritual shot in the arm, and that's what Exodus 90 can provide.
1: So there's a science behind why Exodus 90 is developed the way it is, right? Those 90 days have a purpose. But another great thing about Exodus 90 is that they also offer different variations. They offer a Lenten program. They offer different challenges over the summer. So basically, they have something that's there to fit your needs. Again, asceticism, prayer, fraternity, and really that roadmap that men find so helpful. I know that I did when I went through it. So we strongly encourage you to check them out at exodus90.com slash Catholic Gentleman, or click on that link in the show notes. So yeah, so you mentioned free for, and I know that that is something that I forget so frequently when I am trying to better a condition in my life, when I am trying to put in a new positive virtue, right? A habit forming virtue something that is is moving me in a positive direction making me a better man and that is what am I moving towards, yes. right? Not what am I leaving, because mm. so frequently I fall into this, you know. But I, I, you know, I, I don't really know what I'm going for, and I know that I enjoyed this. And it, was it really that bad on my, you know, on my life? Not really. I mean, sure, when I'm, you know, 50 years old or 60 years old, I don't want to have to, you know, watch TV. This, I don't want to drink three cups of coffee in the morning. But you know, that's in the future. And right now, it's 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 actually healthy Helping me, right? And just that cycle of justification that we fall into. Um... But, but if we can understand what we're moving towards, right, that can be such an eye-opening and I encourage people and I've done it myself is to actually write on a post-it note and put it on your computer screen, uh, take out an expo marker and write on your mirror, um, take out a piece of paper and tape it on your dresser, you know, on your underwear drawer or something, a drawer that you know that you're going to have to, to access daily, um, with what am I moving towards, Yes. right? Why and am I doing this? Why yeah. am I doing it? Exactly right. And, and that can be such an amazing and helpful reminder and so necessary in and, and remembering the, the ultimate um, reward that awaits when, when you have overcome you know, said addiction.
0: So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that business guru, Simon Sinek, who has a yeah. great TED Talk about identifying your why. Like, why do I do this? And that's one of the things I love about Exodus 90 that we just kind of talked about is that it's one of the first things that they have you do is identify your why. Why am I doing this? What is the meaning behind this? What am I doing this for? And the reason being is when things get hard, you're going to need to remind yourself why you're doing something, why you're making sacrifices, or why you're you're kind of pushing through um, those addictions to the freedom on the other side. Um, so it's very important. Yeah,
1: agreed. So, um, you as a professional mental health professional, uh, you, you, you have a lot of great, uh, knowledge and understanding of how to help people, uh, through these addictions. A lot of them are again, uh, affirmed and built within the church. Like for instance, the power of mercy and forgiveness, right? You know, these, these, um, divine, um, uh, gifts that are given to us where basically we don't come to confession once and assume that we will never have to return to confession right Well yeah. I made a firm purpose of amendment, I no longer have yeah. sin right yeah. This is no longer my addiction. That's not the case at all is that we have to return to that font of of mercy and forgiveness like frequently, sometimes weekly, you know, definitely monthly uh, you know, as, as our growth and holiness, uh, really requires. Um, but, um, but so many groups outside of the church, and I see it all the time, you know, they certain pay, pay a certain lip service to, uh, forgiveness, right? Is that, that, you know, once saved, always saved, uh, you know, oh, you know, if you sinned, you know, God forgives you, just, you know, close your eyes. But if you do that repetitively as addictions will have it, you know, it's just, it's always falling and stuff like that. These groups see you as kind of a like a, a bad PR, you know, for them, you know, bad publicity. And so so maybe you were never saved. Maybe you really never believed in, in Christ, right? And we, we see this so often in our affluent society. Um, or we see the other extreme of that, which is, you know, there's no such thing as original sin. There's no such thing as sin that some people just, you know, have these habitual attachments that... Um, you know, help them get through lives and we should be okay with that. And, you know, don't let your, you know, um, belief system impede me from, from doing what I want to do when I want to do it. And so, but anyways, for those of us who have accepted that addiction is a reality and that sin is a reality and we want to move towards, what are some of the things that we can do, um, to, to help us overcome them? Like what are some of the steps that we can take to, to do that?
0: Yeah, I think, well, that's the first one I want to highlight is being radically honest about the reality of your situation. Yeah. Um, if you're in denial, you're never going to make progress. Mm-hmm. So if you if you say, well, it's just a bad habit, or I've, I've got control of this, I can stop anytime I want, whatever, whatever, um, then you're never going to make progress. You're never going to be free. Um, that's is why, you know, in the 12-step the programs like uh, like Alcoholics Anonymous that are so, so popular, one of the first things they have you do is be completely honest about your situation. Mm-hmm. You have to admit your powerlessness. You have to say, this addiction has got me. I don't have it. I'm not yeah. in control of it. It's in control of me. And until you say that fully and radically and honestly, you're never going to be free.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but it's a scary thing to you know stand up in a meeting and say you know hi i'm bob and i'm an addict yeah like that's a scary thing and a lot of people fear doing that so much that they would rather remain in denial and say i don't really have a problem i've got this under control i can stop anytime i want Mm -hmm. um so you know i think being radically honest about your situation is a is a big first step yeah it's so necessary necessary yeah yeah i agree And then the second one I would say is, uh, you know, once you've acknowledged that step, get some help. Mm. Okay. And that doesn't mean professional help, although some people really do benefit from that. In fact, many, many people can benefit from professional help. So that can be counseling. That can be a support group. That can be any number of things. But one of the most powerful things you can do to overcome an addiction is seek healthy human connection. Mm. Um, addiction thrives on isolation mm-hmm. because and it's a vicious cycle because when you're addicted to something like let, let's just again it's the common example that we've been using well let's say you're you're addicted to pornography yeah a lot of people are really embarrassed about that they feel a lot of shame sure. and guilt after they fall the last thing they want to do is tell somebody about that problem mm-hmm. however the minute that you do you will break this cycle but if you stay isolated you'll be bearing all that shame alone yeah and then the shame will drive you back because shame is one of the worst feelings we can have and we want to what alter our mood right we Correct. want to feel better yeah so then we go back to pornography yeah. or whatever, whatever your whatever addiction, addiction of choice is mm-hmm. it makes you feel better for a minute and then you're followed by the shame crash so you got to you got to break this shame cycle You've got to the only way to do that is to get help. So find a good friend, a trusted friend, a mentor, a, a spiritual director, somebody, somebody you trust, who can be your you know accountability partner, so to speak, who can neutralize that that shame cycle. And accountability unfortunately, a lot of people have this mindset about it that it's very punitive
1: yeah Oh, you
0: fell again here's 50 lashes you know like no it's actually the exact opposite it's for the first time feeling safe yeah it's actually fear that drives addiction Mm. it's connection and acceptance and love that breaks the cycle of addiction and that's what accountability can do is say you fell again let me give you a hug i love you brother you know and that kind of thing is what can neutralize or weaken the power of shame, which is the shame, is the fuel of addiction. So.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that. And so we're talking about the fullness of the human person, right? Yes, when we're talking right. about overcoming addictions, it's not just uh, you can do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need, we are, we are created in and uh, to be a communion of persons, right? Yes. To be uh, in union with each other. Yes. No man is an island. Right. We are all called to that interconnectivity. Even monks in monasteries are. Pre- praying for the people of the world and giving us that example of prayer, but they are connected to us through that power of their intentionality and their prayer. And so... We already talked about what we're moving towards, and that's really important because we're talking about emotions here. We're talking about uh, you know the intellect. We're talking about the the physical person. But one thing that I think is incredibly important, and this would be you know maybe the next uh, step, is shutting off access to it, right? Yes. Because as men, how easy is it for us to believe that we are strong enough? Once we've done those first couple things, like. I'm strong enough to say no. I don't have to put that software on my computer for the sake of pornography or I don't have to get rid of all of that alcohol or I don't actually have to remove my computer or my TV from, I was thinking TV from the wall and put it in a closet or something like that, right? If your addiction is is to binge watch uh, things in the evening, right? These are all really, really important and necessary steps for us to humbly admit our feelings because what happens is if you do not shut off that access that temptation, that dopamine r- reminder that we are so desperately connected to uh, will overcome our willpower right yes. And then we will we will fall again. So one way to help. Avoid that fall, avoid that near occasion uh, of a fall is to shut off access, correct? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's such a key point. You know, our Lord said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Mm. If your hand offends you or causes you to sin, pluck, you know, cut it off. Yeah. Why did he focus on the eye and the hand? The eye is, again, connected to desire. It's what fuels the desire for things. Mm. Now again that doesn't have to be you know sexual in nature. that could right. be something you know gambling. You always know, oh, drive by that casino and you just got to go in there or you drive by that liquor store and your eye is drawn to the bottles on the shelf or whatever. there's a there's a power of sight and desire are intimately related yes. And so Christ is saying remove yourself from those visual temptations. Whatever your addiction happens to be, you have to you have to remove it from your sight. That's right. Second, the hand is what we reach out and grab with, right? That's how we obtain things. That's yeah. how we grasp. So once you've the desire is formulated, then we act, right? Yeah. So Jesus is saying, break that cycle. You know, you have to take radical steps: plucking out your eye, cutting off your hand. Those are pretty radical steps. Yeah. Now, of course, he wasn't speaking literally, but he's saying. Do whatever it takes and know yourself well enough to know what your weaknesses are, what your triggers are, and then cut them off.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, and I think that is so key. You know, for example, this is an example I hear like a lot of times like, well, I'm addicted to my phone. I know it's hurting my relationship with my wife. I know that I shouldn't be on there so much. I'm not paying attention to my kids. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm distracted at work. Um well, why don't you get rid of your smartphone? I can't. Oh, I you know, I need it for this, I need it for that. I'll get lost without the GPS and the the calendar and the the, the email habit. I just I just got to have my smartphone. Right. And you're just like, "Really? You absolutely need it. You can't live without your smartphone." That's telling me, you know, that there's a deeper problem there, an unwillingness to change or to take the steps that you need to take. So if you're serious about an addiction, like I always said, you know, cut it off. Like, you've got to take radical action. Uh, and it's, you know, I'm not a big Tony Robbins fan, but he did say what mm-hmm. something once that kind of made me smile. And that was, was what he said. Like, you, you want change in your life. You want big change. Yeah. Then you have to take big action. You have to take you know, like the word he used, massive right. action. Right. And it just kind of makes me smile. But it's but the point is, you can't expect big changes with small actions. Like, at some point, you have to take big steps to see big changes. Um, so I think that's a really key point.
1: I agree, and I appreciate um, I appreciate that uh, those details there because it is, and I know within our own connection to pride and our own machismo, and really what culture has you know kind of uh, put up as as an image of man, we don't want to admit these things, yeah. and we don't want to accept not only our um, our failure in these matters, but are also. Our inability to control the yeah. situation, so we do have to cut those off. We have to admit those humbly, and and what what a great um, uh, growth and and holiness that that can be, and what a what a purifying experience, uh, right? Because it's not our will that'll be done; it's His will, yes, and so yeah. so we can work towards that. So, um, a final thing that that we discussed is, you know. If you were used to doing um, something so frequently, even drinking five Cokes a day or something along those lines, what, what do we do instead? Like, yes. what, what do we have to do um, to, to fit that? Do we feel like just having an accountability partner, you know, uh, picking ourselves up by our own bootstraps and, and handling it uh, and cutting off access to Coke is enough or remembering psychologically what we're moving towards? No, there's something else that can happen in that time duration each day, and that's, that's what we're going to replace it with, right? Right.
0: Yes. Yeah. And, and replacement activities are really key. So whenever you quit one thing, yeah, your brain is going to be like in shock. Like, mm-hmm. you mean, I, I can't, I can't turn to this anymore. Like, you're just going to be, you know, so if you don't replace that activity with something else, you're just going to go back to that sure. activity. So for example, like, let's say you're addicted to gaming. Mm hmm. Well, if all of a sudden you've been gaming eight hours a day, and all of a sudden you just stop cold turkey, your your brain's not going to know what to do with itself. Right. You're going to have to find something else to do. So you're going to have to find a hobby. You're going to have to, you know, go ride your bike. You know, go running, take a walk. You know, um, often physical activity is has a has a um, mood altering effect. Yeah. Um, endorphins are released when we physically exercise and things like that. So that can be a great way. Exercise could be a great like uh, replacement activity yeah. for addictive behaviors, um, or read a book, or find a new hobby, or reach out to a friend. There's there's any number of things that you can do uh, that that can replace those addictive behaviors. Yeah. Um, and I guess just in conclusion, I, I want to emphasize though that once again, addiction is driven by pain, the, mm. the pain of shame. The pain of isolation, the pain of perhaps past traumas or hurts. Yeah. Um, and there's a saying, uh, you know, not why the addiction, but why the pain? Hmm. And I would say if you're really serious about breaking your addiction cycles in your life, big or small, big yeah. A or little a, look for the pain at the root of it. hmm whether, you know, whether that's just an inability to suffer, like, yeah, I just can't be bored. You have to be stimulated all the time. Okay. That's more just like a vice that you need to work on. You right. Know? But if it's something bigger, like let's say there is, a, you had an abusive childhood or maybe you were in a severe car accident and you have flashbacks and that's extremely painful and terrifying. Yeah. Um, or, or any number of different things. These could These pains in our life, emotional as well as physical, um can often be at the root of addictions so give yourself a little grace and say why am i doing this chances are you know nine times out of ten it's not random
1: yeah agreed
0: you know look for the pain that's driving it and then offer that to god and then seek healing in the best way possible whether that's spiritual healing through some sort of retreat or through you know spiritual direction or if it's a, it's an emotional wound, you know, um, go seek counseling, uh, seek professional help. Um, you know, we're all human; we're all fallen. Even men have emotions. Newsflash! Yeah, you yeah, know, exactly. so if those if there's hurt there, deal with it. Yeah, you right. have a responsibility to deal with it. There's an old saying: If what we don't transform, we transmit.
1: That's right. mm-hmm.
0: Um so when that pain is not transformed, you're just gonna pass that addiction cycle on to Transfer the next it generation. To someone
1: else. Um yeah, and so I appreciate that a lot. And and kind of in conclusion, for me, as individuals listening to this episode, I hopefully you've been able to pick up that, that Sam and I aren't Pelagian in any aspect, right? We're not. You can do it yourself, right? You need others, and more importantly, you, you need God's grace. And you need to respond to God's grace, and it is there in abundance, right? In an mm-hmm. overabundance, right? I We talked about earlier that we live in this um, horrific amount of overabundance. Well, God's grace is there in an adequate form and even more so in abundance. Abundance. And so, you know, we turn to that through, uh, confession, you know, um, uh, the Eucharist and of course, um, our daily practices, um, and daily devotions. If this is your first time, um, we do these nightcaps and, um, manly things that we appreciate that, uh, uh, that honestly call us to to God's goodness and His and His creation. And so, uh, if you've listened to some other episodes, you know Sam um, really likes watches. He's getting me into watches, and he's got a really cool one here. So yeah,
0: so the today's nightcap is an automatic watch. An automatic watch. There's usually three different kinds of movements in a watch that drives the hands. There's a quartz movement, which is battery powered and uh, really just like electronic. Then there's um, a self or um, I'm sorry, a hand wound movement where you have to wind it every day mm-hmm. to keep it ticking. And then there's an automatic movement which winds itself as your body moves. There's little so cool. weights and gears in there that spin um and drive the self-winding movement as you move your body so these are really cool they don't have to be expensive yeah um you know seiko is a is a watch company that has some really cheap self-winding automatic watches um you know for like 80 bucks or something so if, if you've never had one they're really miracles of engineering and human ingenuity uh, just kind of the, the the craftsmanship that goes into that—it's very cool.
1: Yeah, agreed. And and we're very big on that authenticity. And what's more authentic than a watch that is so um, masterfully crafted yeah. uh, that it, it winds itself through your movement? Yes. I mean, it's, that's that's so incredible and, and yes. exciting.
0: So yeah. As, As we end every episode, be a man, be a saint.